when we look about this, remember our approach is all about kind of that livability. And when you create great places for people to live, they are great places for people to visit as well, right? Welcome to Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 103 is part four of the four-part series where we highlight the Brad Lee Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative at the West Virginia University. We have Dr. Danny Twillian once again to close this series out. We dove a bit deeper into the concept of active transportation and the livability of communities. We also got a bit more personal in terms of what Dr. Twilly looks for in trail communities. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more people find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www. Dot evotrails.com. Now on to the trail effect with Dr. Danny Twilly. Here we are today on Trail Effect. We have part four of the West Virginia University series, and today I have Dr. Danny Twilly again. Dr. Danny Twilly is the Vice President of Economic Community and Asset Development for the Brad Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative. How's it going today? It's good. It's good to see you again. I love saying all those words together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we do nothing, we have long titles. <laughs> so how's it going today? Are you you're in the middle of the week? You got a lot of stuff going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going well. I mean, um, we are uh, abundant with opportunity. Uh, so that creates a, a pretty exciting work environment, um, but also a very busy one. Well, we're kind of tying things up with this being part four of the West Virginia University series. And during part three, we had talked about, I talked about trails and what you guys are kind of doing for trails in your region and a hundred mile vision and what that might actually mean and kind of a pie in the sky goal of connecting people and places and into nature. What, you know, let's go into that on your perspective of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you when you look at it, it kind of is coming together in, in two formats. As first is like, you know, we we believe through our current planning efforts uh, that we can create and built off of, you know, our rail trails, that we can create the opportunity for a trail within a mile of every single household within the city of Morgantown. And that includes, you know, on-street connectivity. Um, that includes a, a variety of different approaches. And that's not an overnight thing, right? So you have to build the trails, right, where people will go. And then you start figuring out how to connect it to neighborhoods, to businesses, to communities. And so that that will take time. But that's a really thoughtful, in my opinion, a really thoughtful um, and partially ambitious uh, project that I think is attainable. 
And it's a powerful narrative to, to be able to do that. But that does that really supports, you know, the greater Morgantown community, right? And that's those within the city, uh, those that kind of live in the periphery, because we have some really interesting city boundaries um, that allow that statement to be true. But we also know that we we have those that live a little bit further away. So when we look about this, remember our approach is all about kind of that livability. And when you create great places for people to live, they are great places for people to visit as well, right? And so for us is we also start looking at what's available within an hour of kind of kind of these these geographic centers. And you know, we're fortunate to have some historic, you know, um trail systems, you know, uh, within a greater proximity of our area. So some of those we might be able to support um, if we're asked to, to help enhance those. But some of them are just like this really, like, like I said, traditional type of West Virginia riding, which is really hard to build. It's hard to replicate. And it's really expensive to build if, if, if you are. So how do we kind of create and incorporate that narrative? And that's at that 100 mile vision. Could we create within an hour of where we live um, 100 miles of, of diverse um, and, and intentional trails? And when you do that, that creates, again, that opportunity for a broader livability. Because not everyone's going to want to live in a, a kind of a city, if you will. I, I'm using air quotes for those who don't, um, who, who, who are listening to this. And so how do you incorporate that? And I think that's a powerful story, right? That gives us a long-term goal. Um, and in the first time, you know, in the first episode, I talked about this is not an overnight, you know, you know, piece as well. It's really a long-term goal and, and, and a long-term vision. And I think that 100 miles gives us something to strive for over time that serves people beyond just our, our, our community. And that's really where we can start looking at that destination type approach is because not everyone's going to want to come into the community to ride, right? They might want to be out camping somewhere and they come in here to do uh, have a, a more condensed experience. So they're going to want stuff that's not in the community where this is really going to be community driven, lifestyle driven, talent attraction and retention driven, uh, the stuff in our community. Um, and we hope people come to visit it as well. So that's kind of how they they play together. 100 miles is really thinking about within an hour, um, what can we do? Uh, because I, that's powerful. That gets into multiple counties, supports multiple communities. But also really kind of our target focus at the very beginning of this is really focusing on kind of how do we lay the groundwork to get a, a trail within a mile of every community within uh, the city, uh, within the city of Morgantown. And, and you know, from a university standpoint, that's just imperative as, you know, we need to attract uh, the best doctors and nurses and medical staff, the best administrators, the best faculty and the best students from a university standpoint to really, you know, create this holistic ecosystem for for West Virginia and, and West Virginia University. You know, we most of the time we're talking about trails from a recreational perspective as part of this show, but with this initiative specifically, and I think more communities are going this way as well, but using trails as a alternative form of transportation. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's one of the interesting pieces when we look at, you know, our, our approach and this, this approach 
is not a one size fits all, right? This approach that we're taking works from Morgantown, but some of the other communities that we're working in, the act of transportation might not be part of their story because of the way this, the communities are, are built. So we need to figure out what their story is, what their need, what their opportunity is, and align it. And so for us, we, you know, we we think that this can become part of a, an active uh, transportation um, component. I mean, with e-bikes advancing at a rapid pace, and as um, those are becoming, you know, more ingrained into uh, kind of acceptance, if you will. Um, is that I think that provides a unique opportunity to start thinking about soft surface trails as a viable alternative uh, transportation approach, you know, beyond just the streets. I mean, we we have tremendous, you know, in the East Coast and in the Appalachians, we have kind of steep topography, right? It is, you know, West Virginia, I believe it's one of the few states that is fully classified as a mountainous state because of our topography, right? Um, I, I believe that's the case, right? Um, and so with that comes, you know, great benefits and a great narrative, but it also creates challenges from an active transportation standpoint. And with, you know, historic, you know, we have relatively narrow roads within our communities is can we use these adjacent green spaces as a way to move people? We also know that a lot of people are also kind of looking for that smaller community, but with that that uh, proximity to to, to uh, place. There's some great work that's happening right now around kind of the urban planning, and they're talking about this idea of 15 minute communities. So how can people have everything they need within 15 minutes of where they live? And so I've been reading up on on that work, um, and I find it to be fascinating especially for for smaller communities out there. That's a really compelling narrative from a livability. And the only way that that really starts working, at least as I see it in, in, from where I'm sitting today, is how do I incorporate, you know, um, the ability to move, to get to work, grocery, kids' schools, via streetscape and green space. And when we when we can do that and open up accessibility and opportunity for that through e-bikes, I think that has to be part of the narrative and consideration for what we're doing. And so um, I, I think over the next several years, the idea of soft surface trails being a, a critical part of alternative transportation for certain communities is going to really open up the possibilities and let's face it, create the justification for our work. Yeah. Let's zoom out of, of the Morgantown area and kind of move into the state as a whole. Another thing that Rich had talked about is, or that we had talked about together is some of the opportunities that are coming online, both in terms of planning, planning and design for new trails, but also construction. And, you know, before we hit record, you had talked about you know, kind of connecting the dots with funding sources and how having plans in place helps you capture some of those funding sources and just timing of all of it. So let's talk about some of the opportunities you have, but also some of the challenges, you know, so some of the listeners can kind of figure out, you know, or learn about the opportunities you have in your state. Yeah, well, I, you know, I won't pretend to have all the answers, but we're trying to figure it out and learn as we go. And I think part of that is 
recognizing it. And, and, and it's a really nice segue from what I just said is meeting communities where they are. Not every community is going to be a destination today. And so how do you align community needs, community goals with the planning effort that also create realistic funding opportunities that can be implemented? Okay. And that's kind of a tricky equation. And why this is important, there are a tremendous amount, and I've never dug into it, but I would I would be fascinated to try to understand and know how many plans are just sitting there collecting dust, right? They weren't done, you know, thoughtfully, the timing wasn't right, they had momentum, there was a political shift, a social shift, a community leader shift, and the plans collecting, you know, real dust at this point or literal dust at this point and hasn't quite kind of, you know, leveraged it. And, and I don't mean that as every phase of the plan has been built, but we really haven't gotten significant amount of dirt moved where it actually has a positive impact on the community. And I'm sure there's quite a few of those. I'm sure some of the listeners right now are, are kind of like, yep, I know some of those or I was part of it. And so how do you align the kind of momentum and interest and realistic expectations that, hey, just because we build trails doesn't mean your community is going to be different tomorrow. It's always about what else are you doing to complement the trails and how do trails complement what you're currently doing? And that, I think, really can help level set a realistic trail plan. And that's the work that we try, we are really honing in on is is creating realistic planning efforts. Um, we kind of talk about it of we would love in an ideal world to move dirt within three to four years of kind of that first kind of real meaningful conversation with the community about trails. And that for some communities is going to be a, you know, because some communities really need seven to 10 miles. That's really significant. I mean, seven to 10 miles for some communities will will create uh, a better livability for 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 the kids it can introduce people to the sport of mountain biking or hiking or trail running it can serve a lot of community needs and create accessibility and maybe that's all that community needs today and that's what we focus on because a 7 to 10 mile trail plan is much more affordable for some of the smaller communities to to get or for those who don't have a lot of access to public lands Let's start to seven to 10 miles proof concept. You know, let's think about Northwest Arkansas. Like that's what they first built. They built seven miles of trail. I think it was seven miles in, in phase one of Slaughter Pen. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This works. And then that built the momentum. That's what I think for many places, that's a great starting point. And that's also realistically fundable through oftentimes what we call recreational trail programs. Those are typically three to $500,000 uh, grants for, for states. And that provides capacity. Uh, those grants are typically within realistic um, financial, um, you know, maintenance for, for these smaller communities or nonprofit groups or volunteer-based groups. You could typically manage that amount of funding Small communities and municipal governments, nonprofits can do that. And then you show proof of concept. If you give us money, we can create an effective plan that has buy-in that can be implemented. And we actually are going to deliver what we say we do. And then when you go back to the table and ask for money again, they're going to be like, 
Absolutely. We've seen, you know, all our kids are using it. It's I'm using it now as a community leader and that can build momentum. And so that's an important part of the work is that alignment. And then, you know, the other is in some cases, the community already has that buy-in. They have that energy. They have that open space or the, that public land, and they might have an appetite that is in alignment with capacity, with need, and with available public land to go after something a little bit more ambitious because of that. And so, you know, the ability to to create that alignment uh, and continue to build momentum, it's just, it's a really important kind of recipe, if you will, that we're trying to figure out in order to serve the states as a whole and not just a single area and not overpromise, you know, that trails will solve everything for every community. It's just, just not realistic. We say it all the time. We Trails are a, a significant piece to a larger puzzle that communities need to, to think about. If you're doing just trails, just like if you're just trying to recruit businesses, it doesn't work. You have to do it all together in, in a coordinated way. So is that kind of like, you know, kind of where, what you were hoping I'd cover in that question? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, so with that, we also talked about the ARC, which is, yeah. I believe the Appalachian, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got the right vernacular in Appalachian, but I used to say Appalachian and I was corrected yeah. in, in Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> So I got the Appalachian Regional Commission, and that is a commission that's also helping to fund both, which I would found it super interesting that they're actually funding some planning efforts, which is a pretty rare thing to fund, but is becoming more popular. Yeah. So um, the ARC is is a, is a federally designated, um, it's the Appalachian Regional Commission, federally designated to kind of address some of the historic impacts that the Appalachian region of the United States has um, has been part of, right? And, and some of that exodus of population, workforce extraction. Um, so how did they you know, lead that effort? We're very blessed. Uh, Gail Manchin is at the helm of that. She's uh, one of the federal co-chairs and, and she's from West Virginia, but she, she does a brilliant job. Her thing is like, we are a region. We are not a single state. It's called the Appalachian Regional Commission for a reason. And that goes all the way from Alabama up into parts of New York. And, and you know, we are, I think, uh, our state as a whole, um, I think every county has an Appalachian Regional Commission designation. But, you know, Appalachian Regional Commission's goal is to really uplift the region in a coordinated and thoughtful and meaningful way. And they do that across workforce development, across you know, um, they look at things like childcare and broadband and downtowns. I mean, it is a very robust organization. Um, and they have, I would say, dipped their toes in in many cases into the idea of of recreation and tourism. And they've done a lot in kind of helping develop that. A lot of the work in Western North Carolina from a promotion standpoint, building outdoor economies, outdoor business development, they have really seen the the, the impact of that work. They are really starting to look at, and they've made some good investments recently into 
into kind of that recreational infrastructure side of it. I mean, they have, you know, done other types of infrastructure for economic development. And now it's it's awesome that they're consider that they're not considering they are funding recreational infrastructure projects from the planning effort. And that's the great part about the ARC's approach is you can go after an implementation grant right out the gate, or you they have some funding for planning. They recognize that some groups need to do some planning efforts. And so, you know, they just funded the city of Elkins to do some um, planning efforts for a trail plan. We've been um, supporters of that. Um, we've been on the ground with that. But the city of Elkins and what that group down there has done is really a model way in which you want to begin the conversation and advance the conversation. You know, that group said, okay, they are part of, we know. We helped them identify that trails were a need for them based on public lands. And they said, yeah, absolutely. And um, some of the, the, the city leaders came together and they brought together an amazing room of nonprofits, you know, anywhere from, you know, those who are working in trails currently to, you know, those who rec- represent the local university there, the college there. I mean, it was a great swath of organizations that are local and those who support this work. They had an economic development group there, just a really great room. And and when you walk into those rooms, you never know kind of what the dynamic is, right? What the history is, what the, yeah, we've done this before, or we're doing this. You just never know. I celebrate that group and that, that meeting was, it was one of the most positive and thoughtful groups uh, that had been assembled. Um, and they were all there for the right reasons, um, the right approach. Um, and, you know, you had the Forest Service in the room as well. And that started the conversation of how we all agreed that trails will make our community better. So that's a great starting point. Okay, how do we do that? And that became how a lot of people helped facilitate that and ARC funded a planning effort for it. So, you know, they're really understanding that planning is an important part of this, this, this work. Um, and then they also, at the, uh, the, the same grant cycle, they funded the Monday Lick Project on the U.S. Forest Service down in Marlington. Um, that's part of the Snowshoe Area, um, Snowshoe Highland Ride Center. And, you know, that is a group uh, that has come together where they got bronze status and then um, they they kind of went to silver and they're like, I mean, I think the day they got silver, they're like, we're going for gold. I mean, think about that. They were not ready to rest. And one of the key components to helping them get to, to gold was, was the, is this Monday Lake project. And so... The, the project is focused on construction of uh, around 24, 27 miles of soft surface trail right outside of Marlington, West Virginia, which is a great community that has the Greenbrier River Trail uh, there. It has the ability to provide some what we consider low barrier of entry trails that's directly connected to the communities on National Forest. And that project had been been working. Uh, they've been working on that. Imba did the trail planning efforts for that. Um, I think sometime in 2000, let me give it, I, I think it was 2020 was when they did that planning effort. And so 
you know, that's part of the Mon Forest Town initiative. So a lot of people were kind of involved in helping that. And the ARC saw that, saw the need, saw the organization and saw the capacity and said, yeah, let's let's do this. And, and we need to give a, a, a big credit to our regional economic development group because they're also part of that as well, our, our, our John Tuggle and his team. And so again, it's when, when groups like that whose job is to advance the, the region, the Appalachian region, and really think about economic development are investing in trails um, and investing in people, that's moving the needle. And like I've talked before, the EDA through their their tourism and outdoor rec, you know, funding that that um, came out, you know, through the American Rescue Plan. That's another. I mean, the fact that the EDA is investing in tourism and outdoor recreation, that's powerful. And and, and we should, you know, make sure we're honoring, you know, those who are in D.C. every day advocating for this. You know, the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, the Outdoor Alliance, IMBA. I mean, that list is is Outdoor Industry Association. I mean, that's a very long list. And I, I know I miss people and I'm sorry if I didn't miss uh, anyone on that. But there's a lot of people that are really advocating for funding recreational infrastructure and planning efforts. So, yeah. So, you know, give, give credit to a lot of people who've been advocating for this for a long time, who, you know, have really, I always say we're standing on the, on the shoulders of giants who've been, been at this for a long, long time. And so, yeah, that's kind of the ARC. They're, they're an amazing group who, who've, uh, who's really, you know, sees the value in this type of work. Well, and staying on the, the snowshoe area, that area or region was featured in a movie this summer called Bike Town, that Freehub Media mm-hmm. dude. And I remember watching that movie and, and kind of being blown away. I shouldn't have been blown away, but kind of being blown away on how, and I can't remember what, what the mayor's name was and what actual city it was, but the mayor of a city within that, that falls within that silver level designation of the ride center and how he was like truly excited for that designation. And that was pretty incredible, you know, and the power of that. Yeah. So the ride center designation, I, I will say that that group and, and many others um, throughout the country have, have really leveraged it because really what it is, it's a formalized gap analysis with a nice carrot at the end um, that says, here's what, here's how to differentiate yourself. Um, and, you know, it, it helps you stand out. I, I think it's a really cool tool. Now, some, you know, you hear that people are like, man, we don't want any more visitors to come, right? Like we're getting overrun. You know, whether you ever go for designation, whether you ever use it as a, a promotional tool, the exercise is healthy because what it basically is saying, here's what makes dynamic riding destination. And if that is a goal for you and your community, then here is what that looks like. So go ahead and say, here's what the, you know, the, I'm going to use the word gold standard as a, but it's really, here's the bronze standard, silver standard, gold standard, and here's where you are today. And then it allows you to kind of make informed decisions on how you would go about the planning efforts. And so for some of those out there being like, yeah, I think we have the ability to be a destination, they'll utilize that type of gap analysis um, and say, okay, 
this is what it takes. This is where we're at. Is it even obtainable in five years, 10 years? And if so, where, how do you bite the elephant, right? How, what's the first bite of the elephant? And so they have really leaned into it in, in that area. And, you know, we just did a workshop down there because of it, because of their success. We just did a, a advancing community trails workshop that's somewhat modeled off of, of Imba Trail Labs, but it's our version of it for West Virginia. We, we strategically chose there as, as kind of the launching because it was the first one we did is because the proof's in the pudding here. Now, recognize that area is uh, it's very tourism driven right now. I mean, they have snowshoe, they have, you know, some really good, um, you know, uh, skiing for mid-Atlantic. I don't want any of the, 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 in the Southeast, I don't want any of our Colorado friends and Utah friends saying, you know, but you know, where we're at, I mean, it's, it's an amazing mountain, amazing, you know, uh, mountaintop village. And then they also have, I mean, it hosts the world cup, uh, uh, downhill world cups, mountain bike world cup for a reason. And so it has a very help, vibrant, active mountain bike scene. And, you know, they basically said, how do we capitalize on that and give that crew and that community that has been, you know, uh, long standing all the way from Elk River Touring Center and what they did 30 years ago, kind of setting the tone and and really helping celebrate that and and you know just kudos to the bike town for you know that movie and and hub um for 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 highlighting them um because oftentimes you know people who know west virginia get it but it, a lot of people don't know west virginia for what its quality of outdoor recreation is so so yeah I'm going to take us on a far tangent just because I'm curious hey. and I've asked myself this question a lot and maybe this does exist. Maybe it doesn't exist. And maybe, you know, and maybe you don't know, and maybe we'll edit this out. <laughs> but I've often thought, you know, there's a lot, there's a designation for a people for bikes does a, de- does a designation for communities as well. Right. And then there's also a designation for, you know, like a tree city USA. Right. So because your community has like, meets this criteria for Tree City USA. Is there, or do you think there could be, and maybe there shouldn't be, a designation for, say, a Trail Town USA? And that doesn't mean it has to be a destination by any stretch of the imagination. That just, you know, maybe that just means it's got good access to trails for the community and the residents that live there. Yeah, so um, there's a group, uh, they did um, uh, kind of a Trail Town designation, and that was fundamentally built for the the gap in the CNO towpath around signage, accessibility, food, all of that. So that exists. And, you know, they've highly focused their work on Pennsylvania, Maryland, in in parts of West Virginia. It's a fascinating, there's many different tools out there to do it. I know there was a group, um, and and I'll actually say, I know Andy at one point from that on our team, he was working on a community designation for kind of trails versus, you know, destination, right? So currently ride centers are around destination level. I'm going to go there as part of a vacation or long weekend and I'm willing to spend X dollars and I know it has certain amenities available and quality of trail. That's what it's done. But it doesn't address what I think you're getting at is what does it mean to live there, right? And what's that designation? And I know, you know, if you spend any time with Andy, you know one of the big things that 
he he's focuses on is the community aspect. And, and so I know he spent some time. How do you take that adaption of that destination and adapt it to what does it mean to live there? Uh, we've done a huge data dive in West Virginia. We have over 40,000 lines of data where we kind of take a look at various communities throughout the state and try to look at what broadband looks like, what housing looks like, what access to outdoor recreation, what's community vibrancy. And that's think about, you know, from outdoor, let me backtrack from outdoor recreation. We looked at, you know, our rivers, our skiing, our trails, our climbing for community vibrancy. We looked at kind of downtowns, right? That's how I kind of describe it, but it's like the festivals, the local food, the, um, the shopping, all of those types of factors into it. And then we looked at livability. That's anywhere from education, the health, the transportation. And then we looked at kind of some economic factors to try to understand, you know, there's a difference between visiting an area and then living in an area as well. And so, you know, we 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 spent a lot of time diving into some of that to try to just understand a starting point to make informed decisions. And that's you know, that's kind of our academic mindset, but we've also really used it to make informed decisions as well. So, you know, I don't think, I don't know of one without diving in deeper to the nuances of it, of, of kind of like trail town, because some people would say, oh, well, we're doing that. Well, is that around rail trails? Is that around river towns? Is that around, you know, hiking trails? Would that incorporate all of them? Are you looking for, you know, what a, a place to visit? Because you don't need a, a job, so to speak, if you just want to visit an area versus, man, I, I want to live there. And so it, it's a very lofty idea, but the kind of the, the devil's in the details on that. So what what I would recommend, you know, and, and kind of our approach is look at all of them. You know, if you have a rail trail, Take a look at the the, the trail town designation that's, that's built for that. If you're really focused on like kind of that soft surface type of trail, take a look at, at, at what they're doing, you know, what IMBA provides as well. And you could go, oh, well, you know, Tree City USA. So there's many different ways in which you could, could cut it. I think you should look at them all and see which one is best in alignment with your community's goals and then start working towards that. And if you think that there's a role, I have a rail trail, well, have a group work on that part of the designation. You work on the soft surface part, work on on the tree groups to to work on the shape, you know, that designation. You know, if you're looking at it from a kind of a bike friendly, you know, area, and that's much more of that commuter side of it, um, then have a group work on that. And so, you know, you, you don't have to bear it all on your uh, on a single group or a single individual or organization's shoulders. It really should be everybody leaning into it. Well, that's a perfect segue into getting into the more personal side of Dr. Danny yeah. Twilley, which is what, in your opinion, makes a great trail community? Like, what are the amenities that you look for, whether it's traveling or living? Like, some of the things that stick out to you that really kind of signify, you know what, this is a really good trail community. Yeah, you know, I I have been I, I just blessed in my life to travel throughout the you know many parts of the world, you know, recreating in various forms, many parts of the U.S. Uh, I, I've been able to ride or, or or recreate in in some other form, and you know, I 
I think about, you know, I just was was out in Utah and riding in Cedar City and St. George uh, and really kind of watching what those those communities are doing and Cedar City and how they've really leaned into it. And, you know, for me, I, I look for accessibility. I want to be able to kind of go get, you know, a breakfast sandwich and a good cup of coffee and within 10 minutes or less be be at the trailhead. And whether that's me biking there or or um, driving, doesn't really matter. I really like when I and then I want to be able to stay. I want to be able to have all of it. I want right there for me. And oftentimes, you know, the great places where I can stay, get food and get to the trails without ever touching a car, right? Recognizing that's not realistic in everywhere. So, you know, nothing, it's not a big deal to throw a bike and drive 10 minutes to get to a shuttle ride or uh, deeper into a, a trail system. But I, I really look for accessibility. I look for kind of, you know, the, the variety of trails. I really want, I love bicycle kind of, bike parks. I always like to see kind of those bike skill development areas that are in parallel to the, you know, um, the soft surface experience. And then in the, in the soft surface experience and the actual trails themselves, you know, I want to have some rocky stuff. I want to have some downhill stuff. I want to have some flow as well. I think variety is part of that. And that's when I'm traveling as Danny is more of a, a, you know, a serious, you know, uh, rider, not saying I'm a fast rider or a great rider, but more of a serious rider. And I'm going with my my friends, right? If I'm going with a family, I want to make sure my kids have obtainable, accessible trails that keep them excited and get them engaged. That is really lowering that barrier of entry. And then that's where like bike skills areas really work for them. We were um, in Northwest Arkansas as a family and it rained, you know, for a day and it never stopped us because we went to two different bike parks. And one of them, we would ride together as a family in the morning. Then we'd go to like a pool, a splash park, that type of stuff. And then we would go to, um, I would typically ride and then we would go to one of the bike parks and we would typically pick up food, like to go food. And we'd be eating and the kids would ride and then I would ride. And it was just a great way to spend, you know, the evening and we were still able to do things that weren't riding focused, you know, like swimming and, and, and museums. And then I'll say good ice cream is paramount for my kid family. So, you know, those are the things I look for. And then I think finally is it's kind of hard. You know it when you feel it and you experience it. It's that just kind of acceptance of people riding bikes and that can be anywhere from that that people are ingrained to when they see a bike at a crosswalk or at a stop sign they stop and let the bike go go first and oftentimes that's driven from just respecting the role that biking and cycling is playing in the community but oftentimes like as bikers we tend to do that and so it's almost like hey you know hey biker uh, because I'm one too and it's that cultural feeling of, of what it means to go to a location and be able to kind of ride the trails and you feel welcome and warm. It's a warm welcome. You know that you're supposed to be there and they're happy that you're there. 
And so uh, I think that's the special sauce that that really separates that, that honestly really separates, uh, you know, truly dynamic riding destinations. Um, and, you know, I, I can't stress enough what I look for, for with my family is different than what I look for with my with my buddies. But I'd say 90 percent of that's overlap and just that 10 percent, 10 percent is different. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of how I mean, that's what I what I like to to try to ride and, and experience. Um, I, I need to get up to to your neck of the woods. I, I keep hearing, I, you know, I need to get up to Duluth and Copper Harbor and, and Marquette. You guys just have short seasons up there. I can't. You know, uh, <laughs> well, I can tell you uh, firsthand that everything is, everything is covered in snow right now, which is, yeah, in my absolutely. opinion, too early. Too early. Absolutely. Yeah. I was riding dirt yeah. on, on Sunday and now yesterday it snowed and, and it's and that and I'm quite a bit further south than Duluth and, and Copper Harbor, even though those are two places I like to frequent. And I know the yeah, Lake yeah. Superior snow machine has really fired up in those communities yeah. and they're dropping we're, we're we have like a couple inches they're getting feet it's, it's it's yeah you you better if you're you better like skiing or you better like uh fat biking up there or other recreational pursuits yeah ice um, fishing yeah. all of it yeah, ice fishing <laughs> so really pick your pick your pick your poison so to speak yeah well danny as we wrap this one up do you have anyone well first do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to drop before we close and then thank yous to people before we close this one out. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. And I'll I, I'll just kind of butcher it a little bit. And and it is you no know, kind of words of wisdom is there's no one way to do this, but you know it it goes back to a small group of committed people can surely you know do this work. Um, you know I say if you're willing to learn and and work with people. Almost any community can do this in recognizing it's not overnight and being realistic with what you want to accomplish. It's just, it's just important. And so, you know, learn from others, you know, pick up the phone, you know, call, go visit, you know, a place that that is in alignment with what you believe you can do. So start looking. Are they using federal lands? If so, are they? Is it the same federal agency that oversees the land? So, if you have BLM land, you know, out your back door, find a community that has that, right, and go learn from them. If you have national forest out your back door, then go learn from another place that's done it with national forest. You know, start trying to be, you know, look at your population size and align it with another community of similar population size and start aligning that and then just go learn what they have done. And oftentimes they will tell you a lot of the things because I, we could probably do a whole episode on the things we've gotten wrong and they will help you avoid some of those pitfalls or try to at least understand that those are going to come. And so learn from others is probably the single biggest takeaway that I could add uh, to, to the conversation. And then to start, right? Don't look back of, well, we weren't able to do it before. Well, okay, maybe it's different now. How do you make the case? Maybe it was the wrong people in place. Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe it was the wrong narrative. Start, start the conversation uh, and, and learn from others. You know, thank you. I, I can't thank, you know, WVU enough for allowing me to do this work. 
I can't thank my team uh, uh, enough. Like they're the one, they're, they're just so amazing anywhere from our remote, you know, our send team to, to Rich and his team to Andy, to the, our partners uh, at the institution, just, just special, special um, people who by all accounts took a chance. They, they understand what we're trying to do. They see the opportunity. And they're willing to help us stand up something brand new. That takes a special person to do so and a special skill set. And, you know, the communities that have invited us into their their homes, into their meetings, into their what they care about, that's a long list um, in this state, those communities. We do it with them. And, you know, I... I just honor the that most of them are volunteers. Most of them are doing it out of a labor of love, and so I, I thank them uh, for for persevering. Uh, you know, the, our land managers and partners, you know, amazing. Continue, right? We have to do things differently in order to be to advance and be better. So let's continue to do it together. And then, you know, honestly, you know, the the people in this state who've done this before us. I mean, there are so many people who have been advocating and advancing outdoor recreation in this state, whether it's trails or some other forms of recreation, they are the reason why this conversation can happen and why we as the OEDC have been able to be first form, but also be supported as, as well. And then finally, you know, my counterpart um, who focuses on the youth initiative, Greg Corio, I talked about him in the first episode, you know, you know, what he's doing and his team's doing for the youth um, of our state. um, It's just it's just really important. And then I'd be crazy not to to thank, you know, all of my mentors and 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 former professors and my family for allowing me to be the opportunity to kind of learn, fail, stand back up. Let me travel the way I get to travel. Um, thanks, thanks, Sarah and kids. But seriously, it's um, it's a privilege to do this work. Um, it's hard. Um, it's there's there's not a, a formulaic approach, but that's the fun stuff. Like to me, that's the that's the fun work. So yeah, I, I hope. Um, and anybody else I missed, I apologize. But you know, I love you. Um, you know, I, we wouldn't be here and able to do this work without you. But yeah, and and thank you, thank you for for your willingness to tell the West Virginia story. It is a it's a fascinating history. It's a filled with. I mean, this state is filled with some of the best people in the world who who want to celebrate West Virginia, but they also want to honor um, its 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 cultural and historical past. But they know that at the right time in the right way that they want, you know, economic and social prosperity. And, and, you know, that's going to come in many different forms. And we're, we hope that we um, help enhance their quality of life by providing them access to trails. And with that should come economic and social benefits as well. So I think I rambled enough in that response. Uh, Josh, you can cut it out if you want, but, but that's what I have to offer. (laughs) Well, thank you, Danny. Thank you for listening. Links to the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature Michael Anzalone, 
the executive director of the California Mountain Biking Coalition. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect Podcast, you know I have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. 